Women Making Waves. So, Linda, for the second time this week, I actually got on my bike instead of actually getting in my car. That's not, that's not too bad, is it? For me? And is this for fitness? Is it to save money on fuel? Is it for the environment? Or is it all three? If I was going to be really honest, and I'd like to think I'm doing something for the planet, and I probably am subconsciously doing it, but I am doing it for saving money. That's what I'm doing it for, mm-hmm. because I... I drive past some of the petrol stations and I cannot believe... It's a shocker, isn't it? Yeah, the prices. And they're just going up. And I hear people are doing protests, boycotts of some of the... We won't mention particular brands, but they're boycotting some of the petrol stations because the prices are just silly, really silly. And I suppose that's probably why I've decided that I'm going to get on my bike a bit more. So maybe ways, Planet Fitness Cash. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. Mm. Well, that, that's that's really good. And I think yeah. we all need to do more for the planet, don't we? We keep hearing about yeah. things on the television and we keep hearing we're kind of running out of time. And that's yeah. really, really frightening, actually. But yeah, the bills are a huge thing. And I don't know about you. We're being really quite careful in the house as well, not to turn on the radiators all over the house. We're just really yeah. turning on the ones in the rooms that we're using. And in yeah. fact, in, in my office, because I've got screens that are heating up the place, I haven't even turned the radiator on yet. I'm just putting on a cardigan. And that's the other thing, isn't it? I've started to wear bed socks in bed, and maybe that's, I should have done that a long time ago. So I'm actually getting a really good night's sleep. Oh, really? Oh, well, we've always had a cold bedroom. You know, uh-huh. I, I have mentioned this before. We have a bedroom that I think an Eskimo would feel at home in, quite honestly. <laughs> my husband, my husband doesn't. He always says, oh, you know, you, you need you need a cold room to sleep in. And I suppose he's right to an he extent. Right. It, you know, it does he, make you absolutely. sleep better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, uh, but there are extremes, you know, Susie. And I think we reach them sometimes. But anyway, that's another story. So... <laughs> Exactly. Maybe I, I have a hot water bottle that I keep on ah, my feet. Ah, yeah, but in the middle of the ah. night, usually I kind of wake up sweltering because ah. the it seems to go right from the soles of your feet right the way up, you know, and then ah. you end up, you know, in a, a bit of a lather. So then I've got I find my way kicking, kicking the thing away as far as I can get it. Mm. Yeah. That would probably keep me awake at night. I was having to sort of kick a water bottle. In fact, that would really irritate me. So I, I think oh, I'm oh. going to keep to my bed socks. Oh, no, a hot water bottle. <laughs> Nothing can beat that, really. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But I think it's just getting used to as well. And I can't believe I'm actually saying this because 20 years ago, we we moved into a house and it was the luxury of having radiators in your home. And now, of course, they're almost... The forgotten part you don't want to put them on because they are the ones that are going to create the heat but also mm. create a big bill mm-hmm. so now you think well if we don't have the radiators on what else do we do and like you just said you put your socks on sometimes you wear a jumper mm-hmm. and actually it is quite cozy but i i can't quite seem to get one of my children to get into that and i don't know what it is but they're not really possibly because they're not paying the bills maybe that's right that's exactly it <laughs> yes yes well he's paying part of it yeah mm. yeah mm. so they're all living in different places now and they're all having to think about how much you use how yeah. when you get up in the morning when when you decide to have your dinner early part of the time or late in the evening depending on how warm the house is aware that you have where do you eat in the house that's going to be warm? That's it's right. 
It's That's a very right. interesting time, isn't it? Oh, it is. My daughter's the same. You know, they've decided in their house that they're not using the oven very much. Right. And they're using a steamer for their vegetables and, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things. And we we actually tend to use a, an air fryer. Ah, And it's yes. very good. And it's not... I always used to think an air fryer was an actual fryer. And yes, you can do chips and everything in it. But actually, there's no oil involved or anything like that. No. Mm. So it's just air. So you can actually heat up anything in it. And it's very quick. And I think it's quite cost efficient. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. And I know a friend has done just that and she's been trying to persuade me to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I shall be hot in pursuit of finding a second-hand air fry somewhere. Mm. But it's a good idea. Or cold in pursuit, perhaps. Yes. Um, Unless you've got your bed socks on at the time, of course. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And on that note, we have... Some really quite interesting guests today, don't we, Linda? Indeed we do, indeed we do. We thought with COP27, very much in the news at the moment, that it would be great to make a feature of that, really. And uh, we've got some amazing people to talk to from the Cambridge University's Institute for Sustainability Leadership. We've got Zoe Arden, and she's going to be talking about the role of female leaders in the climate sphere. Very, very interesting woman. She really is. And after that, we are joined by these women, these female leaders in the climate sphere. And two of them are here. And that's Liv Anderson, founder of BioZerox. That's a carbon neutral cement. And she'll be talking about the role of women in construction. And we also have Sushma Shankar from Deep Planet and they've been doing really interesting things using satellite imagery and all kinds of gadgets to help farmers and vineyards in particular but any farmers actually to help get the best yield from their crops. So we are really looking forward to talking to these three women. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. We're now going to meet Liv Anderson. Liv is founder and CEO of BioZerox, a company founded in 2021 with a goal to decarbonise the construction industry. And they're working on producing carbon-neutral cement. Liv is a passionate sustainability specialist who has led international construction projects in residential as well as commercial buildings, focusing on low-carbon developments. Welcome to Women Making Waves, Liv Anderson. Hi, thank you very much. Now, the construction industry has historically been a bastion of male domination. Do you see a growing number of women coming into the industry? Yeah, I guess over the last decades or so, we've seen more women coming into education in STEM-related subjects, including in the construction-related fields. So, I mean, all that's really positive. There's a lot of initiatives to mentor women wanting to enter these industries. We see a lot of, you know, industry groups supporting women coming into the industries. I think what's a sort of harder point, and that hasn't been addressed as much, is the retention of women in the industry yeah. and especially mm. in the times when you know people go on maternity leave yeah. and what's done to bring women back. Do you think there's an answer to that Liv? It, it, can you see a way forward in that? I, <laughs> I love that sigh, yes. <laughs> what I think is 
We still see a lot of companies in the construction industry treating maternity and paternity leave very differently uh, in a way that it really encouraged women to take this leave and to take it for longer. So I guess in a sense it's a bit of disproportionate encouragement there for women to take their time off. So are you saying that the paternity is not encouraged leave? So paternity is not an encouraged moment, but maternity they do encourage. Is that is that the discrepancy? I suppose putting this in in the mindset of coming from uh, from Scandinavia, where it's more or less equal between parents how much time you take on maternity versus paternity leave, and it is encouraged for both parents to take leave and to basically with the perspective that. No one should be kept out of industry and, you know, have that impeding the career development. I guess in that sense, there are companies out there in the construction industry, and I'm sure in other industries as well, who give the absolute minimum of two weeks paternity leave. And that doesn't really open up opportunities for working mums to return earlier to work. But I also think when they do actually return, what are the opportunities? Will they be on the same career path as they were before? Will they still have the same opportunities? Will they be encouraged to climb the higher echelons? Mm. I have seen many examples when that isn't the case, uh, but I hope that is something that can change and really encourage working moms to, to come back and to really be encouraged to keep a career if that's what they want. Yeah. Mm. I know in the IT industry, the fear, if you're off for a long time, is losing touch with the very, very fast-moving changes that, that go on in the industry. And I'm guessing it's probably similar in the construction industry. How do you feel working in such a male-dominated industry? Have you ever had any problems or struggled with that? <laughs> so I guess all my life I've been in very male-dominated industries. I was an ice hockey player for many years. I was an ice hockey referee for many years. And also working in construction, it is... It is heavily male dominated and I guess in a sense I've gotten a bit desensitized to it which I guess isn't always a good thing but it helps a lot having allies in this industry as well and there are still views and there's still comments that that comes in this industry that aren't appropriate but I think it's really nice to see that people are becoming more aware of these issues and more people are calling them out mm. and I myself when I hear comments and it's not just you know gender related it's also about other features such as racial or sexual orientation and to try and call them out when you see it it yeah. really helps the people that are affected yeah. I, I do find though Liv and it's 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 the same old situation same old issue when I was very young growing up and and wanting to have children and stopping work it's it well, I can't believe in this day and age that we're still dealing with this. I'd like to see more legislation on it, and, and that's what I find really hard. Does that affect all countries worldwide, do you think, Lib? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> gender gender discrimination isn't, isn't a localised problem. I do think that different countries have taken different approaches. Right. I don't think there's any one right answer to this question. I really think it really depends on, you know, cultural context, historic context and what you can really do within the frameworks mm. and the contexts that you have. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 We mentioned earlier that you are the founder and CEO of BioZeroc. What made you want to start BioZeroc to begin with? So I've been working in the construction industry for quite some time now and I was working mainly in sustainability consulting 
everything from net zero projects to embodied energy to operational energy to how you could align with net zero strategies globally. And despite being in a role when I had such huge impact on sustainability, I still felt like I wasn't doing enough to decarbonize this industry. So for example, if you're looking at the problem we're addressing at BioCero, which is concrete, it's responsible for 8% of the global carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. That's roughly four times the size of the whole aviation industry. And you know, just a single building, like a, a public use building can have the impact of over 400 people's lifetime emissions. Wow. That's just for the yeah. structures and the elements and the facades and the way the building runs. So it's huge. And in a sense, working in that field, I guess I could help reduce it. I could help work with better materials. I could help use, you know, more efficient structures. But at the end of the day, it needed a fundamental reform if we are to align with the net zero targets that we have set. And your solution removes the need for cement in the process of manufacturing concrete. And, and that's what makes it more environmentally friendly, I understand? Yeah, exactly. So cement is the most carbon intensive part of concrete. It's responsible for about 88% of the emissions of concrete. So huge, huge part of the impact. So when we found a way to actually remove that from the manufacturing process, it's a fundamental reform of the way that concrete is made. For the better, we would like to think. Is it being taken up? Are people very interested? I can imagine that this would be something that would be hugely exciting for the construction industry, this idea. Absolutely. We're still quite early stage. We've only been operational for about a year, but we're already having more interest than we can manage. Mm, that's great. And it also shows, you know, that the industry is willing to start moving and start addressing these issues, which I think is super encouraging. And it's great that a construction industry recognizes the challenges it's facing and are looking for ways to address it. Mm. Yeah. How long did it take to research this whole idea of, of a substance that removes the solution in cement? How, how long did it take you to find this solution, Liv? So actually, the fundamental science that our process is built on, it has been researched for about 20 odd years. Right. It's, it's a similar process to what's used in self-healing concrete or soil stabilization, where you're basically using a bacteria that produces limestone to bind sand and aggregates together. Oh, wow. But whereas this has normally been used to sort of heal cracks in concrete or building very thin decorative tiles, our patent pending process is really focused on making these into larger elements that's more adapted for the construction industry at a commercially viable rate. Interesting. That is really interesting, mm. actually. That's really exciting. Now, we're talking on this programme about COP27 and the theme of decarbonising the construction industry is on the table and it's being addressed at the event. I take it that there is an appetite then in the construction industry to produce carbon neutral materials from what you've said. It does sound like something that people are really wanting to do. But it's not so much just about the appetite to produce it. I think the appetite to produce is more a response to the demand that's out there. And... As I said, like the industry is recognizing that it has a huge challenge to align with the net zero targets that has been set. And we're already seeing 
regulatory movements mm. in the industry, such as in the Greater London Authority, you now have mandatory whole life carbon assessments for some of the projects. And there are talks about when an embodied carbon tax is going to come into play, which of course affects every project that's being undertaken. So we're sort of seeing this a bit nervousness, a bit, how are we going to solve this? Because there aren't mm -hmm. any products out there that you can build in a sort of realm of carbon neutrality as is. Some would say, why don't we just use wood? But at the end of the day, concrete is used everywhere around us. It's the pavements that we walk on. It's the structures in the buildings that we live. It's the tiles. It's the facades. It's bricks. It's everywhere around us and there is no material at this day and age but we can just replace all of these parts with yeah so there needs to be innovations to to address this and there's definitely a demand we do get a lot of requests and we do have a lot of people asking about this uh, i guess we just wish we could innovate even faster yeah i did wonder about that i wondered if it was client driven as well that when people are wanting buildings to be constructed if that's on their wish list that they're made as efficiently and um, environmentally friendly as possible i'm assuming that that's that's something high on the agenda these days absolutely that's on the agenda and as i said partly regulatory driven but also with companies that have their own sustainability targets and they want to show progress but it's also part in the people who actually buy the buildings or rent the buildings a lot of companies see it as a risk to rent or purchase a building that hasn't been made in a sustainable way because how's that going to align with their targets and their sustainability values? And do you think it's important that women are involved in the decisions made at global conferences such as COP27? Do you think that makes a difference? So from, from a personal standpoint, I think the most important part is that we are making commitments that are being followed and that we're taking action to address the climate change. And to be completely honest, I think whoever can make that happen, if it's a man, if it's a woman, whoever it is, is less important. But what I do feel is, of course, that the more diverse voices are heard, the better the solution is likely going to be and the more efficient we are going to be able to solve these problems. So, so yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's important that everyone gets their voices heard. We know that the best sort of innovations and solutions come from diverse groups and diverse teams. So, yeah, so yeah 100%. And will you be following the results of COP27 yourself? Will you be keeping an eye on what's going on there? <laughs> I think that even if I wouldn't want to follow them, I, I couldn't get away with it. No, like, of course, this is, this is my job. This is, this is what I'm passionate about. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I want to find a solution to, to the climate crisis that we're facing. So, of course, of course, I will be following what's happening and just hoping that that it will also be taken action on and that we will actually work to find real solutions and and work on the commitments that we're setting. What will be the one defining point that you would hope for out of the COP27 from your point of view? What would you be wishing that you could bring back out and think, actually, that's that's a good move? Oh, that is a really good question. I think what I would really, really hope for are strong commitments and smart goals so that there is like measures there's timelines there are 
not just aspirations, but actual targets that people will follow and action on. That's so right. I'm glad you said that. Good luck with that. And I think it's a very realistic hope. I really do. Liv Anderson, thank you very, very much for joining us on Women Making Waves and giving us your views. Very, very exciting. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's all we have time for today on Women Making Waves. Our thanks go to our guests, Zoe Arden, Liv Anderson and Sushma Shankar. We'd also like to thank Maeve Campbell from the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership for her help with this programme. We're always on the lookout to feature women living extraordinary lives. So please contact us if you know of someone we should be talking to. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at WomenMakingWaves. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website womenmakingwaves.co.uk where you can hear all of our interviews. 